on this episode of This Calling. If, if I can call upon the church to heed these words, do not give power away. And certainly do not just blindly hand it over to the ordained people in the church. Welcome to This Calling, conversations about vocation. I'm Chris Arnold, a Christian who used to be an atheist, a software engineer who became a priest. These are the calling stories of others, where they are, how they got there, and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I talk to the Reverend Aaron Walter. Aaron is a priest in the Episcopal Church, serving as youth pastor and associate rector of St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Menasha, Wisconsin, just a few miles north of me. We talk about his journey into youth ministry and much later into ordained ministry. He also shares with us what the church needs to know about young people. Here's our conversation. Today's guest on This Calling is the Reverend Aaron Walter, who I'm talking to from the other side of Oshkosh. Aaron, how are you today? I'm doing really well, my friend. How, yeah. heck are, how in heck are you? I'm good. We have the lake flies hatched here over by Lake Winnebago. So every time I go outside right now, I just get hit in the face with like these inch-long, irritating little bugs that are related to mosquitoes. You've seen lake flies, right? But I, I used to live not far from where you are right now, just over on Evans Street. And I hmm. remember we were we, we were happy to be as far from the lake as we were at that point, because if even just like a block or two towards yeah. the lake, it's remarkably worse. Um, but I, I do remember lake fly season. And uh, uh, as much as I do miss being near the water over there, uh, happy to be this far away from the lake so that I don't have to worry about those things. Yeah, they do not have them in most other places in the country. So uh, for our <laughs> listeners who have never seen a lake fly, you can go and Google it now. But they're like inch-long, giant, non-biting, stupid relatives of mosquitoes. And there's about a 10-day period every May and sometimes in August as well where they hatch. And if you're within a 1,000 feet of the lake, which is right where my house is, 940 feet from the lake, uh, they're just like – like I can walk from here to my car and just be covered in them. One of them flew up my wife's nose the other day. <laughs> that's that's um, more information than I think our listeners would like, but yeah. Yeah. The, so they're, they're messy. And then once they all die, then you have to go out with a pressure washer and wash off the outside of your house. And um, It's like lake yeah. flies and like the mayflies that happen down in, in the south – are, are two of those species that I truly, as a result of them being in the world, I truly reconsider the sovereignty of God. <laughs> <laughs> Careful. Not really, but like, it's like, why, why, why are these here? Why, Lord, yeah. Lord, your Lord, tiny baby Jesus, why are these with us? Um, other than food for bats, um, yeah. I, I, I struggle to understand why, why those things are, are in existence, but you know, that's a pretty good reason. So you live here in Oshkosh, you live just across town from me, I do. Uh, but you are a priest, but not in Oshkosh because I'm the priest in Oshkosh and that's my job. Um, 
So where, what is your job title? Where do you serve? Sure. I am the youth pastor and associate rector at St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Menasha, Wisconsin, about 15 minutes from door to door. Uh, I live here in Oshkosh because I married an Oshkosh lady. Uh, my wife grew up here. Um, I grew up in De Pere, Wisconsin, up uh, in the shadow of Green Bay, the home of the Green Bay Packers. And when I went off to seminary uh, with uh, with my brand new wife, uh, we ended up moving back here because St. Thomas was looking for a, a youth pastor, a non-ordained youth pastor, uh, as I came out of seminary unordained. Hmm. Uh, but we moved to Oshkosh because we just uh, had a little more familiarity with Oshkosh area, um, with my wife being from here. Uh, the, the school system was a, a better fit for our family. Uh, at the time, our son was not even a year old, um, but John was a uh, and still does has down syndrome. And so we knew we were going to be into sort of the special education world, uh, in, in the, whatever school district we, we were in. And the, uh, the Oshkosh school district came highly recommended to us with, when it came to special needs. Hmm. So, yeah, so that's how we sort of landed, landed here in Oshkosh and have been here since 1998. So 22 years, uh, of living in Oshkosh and uh, 22 and well, yeah, now 20, almost 22 and a half years of working at St. Thomas Episcopal in Menasha. So you are one of two priests on staff there. Correct. Yes. Our rector is uh, the Reverend Ralph Osborne, uh, who uh, has been our rector now for 11 years, uh, 11 and mm. a half. I think. Yeah. So, so you've had, You've been there through at least two rectors now. The Reverend Ian Montgomery hired me fresh and green out of uh, out of seminary. <laughs> I was I was I was one of those like coming out of seminary. I, you know, I was twenty five years old, um, and I really had a lot of confidence in my theological education, uh, and was very very. Uh, um, outspoken about it. I was quite uh, boisterous with it. Um, and and I, don't, I don't think in like a jerky kind of way, but definitely uh, really was was confident in the fact that I had a degree now. And so there, there are some <laughs> things that I, that I, that I know. Um, and I think there are still some things that I know, but there's a whole lot less things that I'm aware of uh, now. So yeah. So, but yeah, Father Ian uh, hired me, uh, gave me my sort of first, uh, full-time gig as, as a youth leader and sort of being on church staff. And, uh, I'm, I'm forever grateful to him. Uh, he and I are still friends. We, we, we connect now and then on, on Facebook and, uh, and so, so yeah, he was, uh, the rector there from 1997 up until 2008. Uh, so he was my boss for a good 10 years plus. So where shall we begin? How, uh, shall we begin with just digging into youth ministry or shall we begin with just your whole life story? Let's begin with your life story. You you weren't always a priest, like you said. I was definitely not born as an ordained right. priest. No, <laughs> did, definitely not. And did you grow up thinking one day, one day I'm going to be ordained? It's – um. Man, yeah, th- no, <laughs> definitely not. Um, when I was – I grew up at St. Anne's Episcopal Church in De Pere, Wisconsin. Um, uh, my dad uh, was from De Pere, and so my, my family grew up there, uh, and we went to St. Anne's. Um, the rector 
that I most remember was Father Bill Galati. Um, and when I was probably in seventh grade, um, and he he would like be at like our youth events and, and stuff like that. And my dad was the the uh, sort of volunteer youth leader. And I remember Father Bill speaking to me. It was really casual. I mean, like it, he just sort of mentioned it to me, saying, "You know, be be thinking about you know going into the ordained ministry." Like I'm I'm 13 at the time, uh, and I legitimately thought. I remember thinking this. I'm sure he has said this to virtually all the students here because that's what priests do. They just try to get other people into their secret club. Um, you know, like yeah. you, we, we like should all pyramid scheme, you know, yeah. right. You know, like it, was, it was just like, <laughs> yeah. a, like you know, you're, you're just simply trying to multiply the priesthood. That's all you're trying to do. Um, yeah. Like I, I didn't really take it as like a personal invitation. Um I came to realize that no, he had probably only said that to like three or four other people. Interestingly enough, there were three of us who were all in that youth group at roughly that same time. Um, and all three of us are, are, are ordained in either the Episcopal or Anglican church now, um, <laughs> which is hilarious. Uh, so um, yeah, so that was, that was my first sort of hint, um, you know, that, that ordained, ministry might be something in my future. But then I, you know, get it, went through high school, went off to college. I was going to be a high school choir uh, director. That's wait, what wait, I went wait, to wait, 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 wait. I'm what, sorry. We're, we're backing up now. What do you think, uh, what do you think he saw at 13? I mean, cause you know, 13 year old boys are not usually the most kind of spiritually sophisticated people. So what, what do you think he was able to see in you? I, I would be hard pressed to give you an exact answer. Uh, unfortunately, I can't even ask Father Bill, uh, who he uh, passed away in 1997 uh, of cancer. Um, and so, but if anything, and, and and this is slightly uncomfortable thing to say because it forces me to toot my own horn slightly. I've always been um, charismatic. Um, not, not in like faith practice necessarily, but just in, in personality. Um, I know I have some just sort of natural gifting of, of, um, uh, leadership and, and sort of, Hey, people, you know, follow me, you know, or not even follow me, but just, you know, having that confidence to sort of, uh, move in that direction. I think a lot of that comes from, uh, I have a lot of theater background, uh, in, even in elementary and middle school and high school. And so, um, there's always been that just sort of, I've never been weirded out by having, um, people seek me out, um, for whether it's information or guidance or, or anything like that. So all I can say is, yeah, may, there might be some, um, some charisma, uh, that, uh, that he may have seen in me back then. Mm. And, um, like I said, I don't know exactly, but, um, it certainly wasn't because I was exuding this deep theological uh, lived uh, experience of life that was so, so evident that, oh, this guy is going to be a priest. No question. Because um, I don't ever recall having, you know, lots of meaningful prayer time, you know, like, or like personal, you know, theological reading and stuff like that. It's certainly not when I was, uh, when I was a middle school, even a high school student. Um, but my, my faith was always 
always present to me. Like I don't ever recall a time when God, Jesus, Bible church wasn't a part of my life. Um, and so maybe it was as something as simple as that. Like this guy is living and breathing and eating his faith constantly because it was just sort of always a part of me. Um, I don't ever recall a time in my life where God wasn't um, a, a factor in my life. Um, even when I would like watch film or whatever, um, you know, seeing like, I remember seeing the movie ET and at the very end of the, the rainbow appears at, at the end. And I remember my dad and I talking about that image of the rainbow being a sign of, uh, of a of a divine promise, you know, uh, uh, that uh, and a good divine promise. Um, so even you know, an ET came out when I was what like ten years old. So I mean, I, I remember having those kinds of conversations, but I don't ever remember um, it being weird. Uh, like you know, oh, I just figured everybody has conversations about about God because God's always around. You ran those four words together: God, Jesus, Bible. Church. Church. Yep. I've heard you do that again and again. That's like, tell me about that. Like, you, that's obviously a thing, those four things together God, Jesus, Bible, church. Yeah. I mean, and unfortunately, the Spirit of God is unfortunately left out of that little, uh, <laughs> little phrase. Uh, so, certainly not meaning to uh, snub the third part of the Trinity there. Um, if she is the third <laughs> part of the Trinity, uh, like why, why does the spirit of God always get like, Oh, that's the third part of the Trinity, you know, um, kind of, kind of relegates the spirit to a corner, uh, in, in my field of vision, at least, um, God, Jesus, Bible church. I think that was actually a phrase I heard Rob Bell speak in in, in a in a podcast or a sermon or in a book that that I, I had read or heard something by him and it just it, it it rolls off the tongue as a as a really simple way to just sort of sum up the the entirety of sort of a uh, a, a, a theological perspective on life um, you know or or if we're talking about theology or we're talking about God then all of those other things are sort of sort of lumped in with that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of a catch-all phrase, you know, to say, to say, hey, we're talking about, we're talking about God, you know, we're talking about all things religion, we're talking about blah, 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 and God, Jesus, Bible, church. Uh, so it's sort, of, it's, it's sort of, you know, it's a way for people to recognize, I think, that there's more going on than just simply the God talk. Uh, there's more going on than just simply we're just talking about Jesus because Jesus is a part of God. Um, there's more going on than just the Bible because the Bible references, you know, to Jesus and to God. And in the church or the place that we wrestle with that, the church wrestles with that uh, entirely. So I guess in that sense, each one sort of points back to the previous word or phrase, you know, God. And then, well, we're talking about Christianity. So therefore Jesus and the scriptures are the things that testify to who Jesus was and who God is and what God is like. And then the church is the place where we, typically ought to be wrestling with that stuff. So there you go. So it's like packaging everything up into a holistic uh, unity. You want, I like, I like how you said that better. That was (laughs) (laughs) well, less words, (laughs) less words. Isn't always a good thing. Uh, 
Yeah, more words can tend to get you into more trouble, I have found. <laughs> that is true. It's certainly uh, shorter sermons make happier uh, parishioners most of the time. That is also true. <laughs> okay, so 13 years old, someone has earmarked you and called you out for ordained ministry. How do you get from there to seminary? I went, uh, worked my way through high school, uh, was a good student, um, really, really enjoyed the theater and music and uh, all of these things uh, sort of in the non-academic part of high school uh, were the things that I was really, really drawn to. I mean, I, I did well in my academic studies, but if it involved the stage or performing or uh, being with other musicians or, or anything along those lines, that was where I was drawn. Um, mm. And so decided to um, make a career uh, out of that and went off to Lawrence University in Appleton, Wisconsin, only 30 miles from where I grew up and uh, only about 25 miles from here in Oshkosh and um, was going to be a high school choir conductor. That was, that was the launch pad. That was, that was like where I was going to be going. Um, and so uh, about two thirds of my way through my junior year really began to recognize that I don't think I want to be a teacher uh, in a high school setting. Um mm. There, there were things that were coming to light in my own life that were making me realize that I was going to struggle if I had to sort of toe the line when it came to how to teach. Um, I took a couple of sort of education, music education classes and found myself bumping up against, um, well, this is how you do things. Um, and I totally accept the idea that there have been people that have come before me that have taught well and had a lot of success in, in how to get a, a choir to, to sound good. Um, but man, oh man, I had some other ideas and they were kind of not downtrodden, but sort of, well, that's kind of not how we do things uh, and stuff. So I started to sort of become a little disenfranchised with, with the whole thing. And so um, I ended up... Uh, talking to my mom about these frustrations and she just sort of blurted out a phrase that legitimately changed my life, uh, changed the, the way that I was uh, looking at the trajectory of my life. And she said, what about still working with high school students, but in a church setting, like you've always, that's always been a part of your life, you know, along with music. Um, and I can truly say to this day, I, I do believe that that was God using my mom to sort of, reshift and refocus uh because I, I actually began to weep on the phone with her um because it just was this oh, that feels right that that feels not just good but it, it felt just anointed uh if i can use that word um so i literally at the end of my junior year of college met with uh the dean of students and the dean of the conservatory at Lawrence University, told them I needed a way out, but still graduating so that I could go to a seminary, uh, which of course required an undergraduate degree, and 
switched my major from a bachelor of music to a bachelor of arts in music and got out of Lawrence university in the, uh, summer of, or early summer of 1995. Uh, a friend of mine was, uh, uh, helping to start up a youth ministry degree at Trinity Episcopal school for ministry, uh, right near Pittsburgh. At the time it was the only graduate program uh, with an emphasis in youth ministry anywhere in the Episcopal or Anglican world uh, on a seminary level. So that was my only option uh, to sort of continue my education, but with an emphasis in in youth ministry and students uh, of that sort of age group. So off to Pittsburgh, I went. So what was that senior year at Lawrence like having kind of had that conversation with your mom, those tears? And then this realization that you're you're now on a new trajectory, but nothing changes gears all that fast, and you still had to like go through that last year, knowing that your destiny lay in a different direction, but still being surrounded by the the infrastructure of an old dream, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. And and and, and truth be told, there is still a um, how do I say that? There is still a desire, uh, a, a part of me that longs for music performance. Um, and not just the times where I get to do some chanting, you know, on a Sunday morning or, or playing some trumpet around Easter or Christmas and stuff like that. But that there is, there is that part of it. Um, preaching gets about as close to that, that, style of of uh of performance uh, of being able to sort of put my own spin on something that has come long before me um in the same way you know if i'm on stage you know doing a rendition of uh um you know a, a musical character on stage you know there's others that have been that have been doing it a long before that character existed a long time before that but putting my own spin on it is is a a wonderful, wonderful experience. But anyways, uh, back to your question. Uh, that senior year was a blur. Um, I got engaged that summer between junior and senior year to my uh, current wife, Shannon. And so a lot of that senior year was wedding planning, desperately just simply trying to make sure I didn't fail any classes because every class I had to get the credit in order to graduate. Um, and, and also preparing myself to head off to what I had absolutely no idea where I was truly walking into other than I'm going to go off and be around a whole bunch of other people who are studying to be either youth leaders or priests or missionaries or, or whatever. So there, there definitely was that sort of sense of I'm keeping one foot sort of grounded, you know, in, in my, in the present uh, at that time of my senior year of college, but, but looking forward into the future, um, there, there, there was a, I don't, I don't want to use the term like, um, sadness but there there was a conflict of emotions definitely of all right i'm not going to be doing this one thing that i thought i was going to be doing but i am stepping towards a thing that i know that is um gosh it just it just feels like this is where 
everything in my life has been leading up to uh, at that point to, to go into this sort of ministry uh, amongst uh, middle and high school students and college students, as it turned out. So, so off you go to seminary. What was seminary like? Newly married? D- yeah. I mean, uh, graduated from Lawrence in June of 95, got married in July of 95, started seminary in August of 95. Um, a, a whirlwind uh, of, of a summer, to, to be truthful. Um, and was there, uh, graduated from Trinity in May of 98, but was actually done with all my academics in December of 97. And so started at St. Thomas, technically actually before I was actually graduated, but I was done with all my uh, academics. Uh, so seminary was great. Uh, I have... Um, three to four or five friends from seminary that are probably some of my closest friends in the world. Like we keep up regularly, um, you know, group chats on, on text messaging, you know, even to this day. And, and so, um, uh, almost all of them are also ordained, but, um, seminary was, was amazing. It, it was a baptism by fire, uh, Trinity Episcopal school for ministry, uh, considered and i believe still does consider itself sort of the the great commission seminary um in the sense that they are look at the way that they prepare people for ministry is first and foremost um matthew 28 baby the great commission um you know go into all the world um proclaiming and baptizing and letting people know about who this Jesus is, um, a, a very, um, very evangelical approach. Uh, their, their theology at, at Trinity definitely on the, uh, on the evangelical, um, conservative, uh, side. I did not know that going, I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. Trinity going in, um, other than they offered a, masters in youth ministry. Um, so that was why I was there. I didn't go because it was going to give me a, a particular view of the world uh, or a particular view of God, Jesus Bible church. Um, and so, so there, and, and coming out of it, that was how I was sort of seeing the world. Uh, and, and it was, and, and I don't, I don't look back on that time as anything, but, but positive, uh, I, really, really, truly. Um, even if, I, I don't exactly think about all the, the things um, when, when it comes to, you know, the scriptures and when it comes to who Jesus is, even if I don't exactly think about those things in the same way that I did 20 years ago, um, there, there's, there's not a moment during my time at, at seminary that I look back on with any sort of, you know, disdain or, or anything like that. I relish those times. I relish those relationships that I have with, whether there's the professors or my fellow students. uh, And and like like I said, some of the deepest friends that I have, even to this day. Well, the whole Episcopal Church has changed a lot since the mid-90s. Very very accurate. (laughs) And so I think, I don't even know if, if Trinity is, I don't even know how you, how these criteria get established, but I don't even know if Trinity is still considered an, a quote, official Episcopal church seminary or not. I don't, I don't know. I know that there's, I don't know, that there's, there's been tensions in the last um, 15 years that weren't present 
when you were there. Agreed. Yeah. So. And, and I don't know where the official line is either. I, I know they're still, they consider themselves uh, certainly Anglican uh, in, in that sense. I don't believe they've left Anglican, you know, communion in that, in that sense. Um, mm. But I, I do know they dropped the word Episcopal from their name. So now they just call themselves Trinity school for ministry. Um, but when I was there, it was, it was TESM, T E S M, you know, Trinity Episcopal school for ministry. So that's kind of still what I refer to them to because that's the, the majority of my experience with them is, was during those that 95 to 98 uh, timeframe. So, so, uh, you come back with this newly minted master's degree. What was the degree actually called? Master's in youth ministry or something? It was a master's in missions and evangelism. And the track, there were like three different tracks of that master's and mine was the youth ministry track. Hmm. Uh, so I have a, I have an M A M E dash Y M. So we all just called it. We, 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 we have a you know, master's in youth ministry, uh, but the official, I don't even know if they still call that degree that anymore, what their uh, uh, things, but yeah, I have a master's in youth ministry. M A M E. You have a MAME. I have a MAME. <laughs> you went to school to learn how to maim people. No, that's yeah, not. <laughs> and, and specifically, uh, you know, middle and high school students. Uh, so, yeah. But maiming them for Jesus—that's the—that's the main. Oh dear! <laughs> so you come back, you start work. Mm-hmm. Did Shannon travel with you to Pennsylvania, or did she stay here? Oh yes, yeah. We we had our first uh, first kid out there. Uh, John was born in uh, the uh, North Hills of Pittsburgh. Uh, Pennsylvania was born at Beaver Regional Hospital, I think it was, uh, and stuff. So yeah, so we uh, and we were the first. Like there, there were several, you know, young married couples and several young married uh, singles. And so we, uh, we were the first to have a kid sort of amongst our friend group. And then like two others had kids while we were still there, you know? Uh, so yeah, we, yeah, Shannon was with me and uh, we were started our family out there, uh, which was great. Uh, but yeah, moved back to Wisconsin. Um, we actually decided to move back to Wisconsin before I got a call from St. Thomas. Um, I really, and this, this shows you how, this shows you how much better my wife is than me. Um, she <laughs> believed with everything uh, in her fiber of her being that we were supposed to move back home. Um, I really wanted to be wined and dined and flown around the country like several of my other uh, fellow students were were to be uh, sort of, yeah, we'd love you to come here and work here and all this good stuff. But um, Shannon was like, I, I feel like we're supposed to go home um, and there will be something available there for you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like the Diocese of Fond du Lac um, doesn't have any professional, you know, youth leaders. Uh, There's nobody doing professional, you know, youth ministry uh, there. It was all volunteer run. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with volunteer run youth ministry, but I I was looking, you know, like I didn't see that there was any church that really would even be able to, you know, have the, the, the ability to hire me as sort of like a a full-time person. Um, But Shannon was really, really, really sure. Um, and so after many, many, many weeks of the two of us, uh, having what I'll say is vigorous conversation, um, I, uh, was able to say, 
All right, let's do that. And less than 48 hours later, the phone rings and it is my youth ministry professor, Wiss Hayes, um, who said, there's a guy that's going to call you. He's a friend of mine and he's just leaving St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church in Nashville and moving up to somewhere in Wisconsin uh, and would like uh, to hire someone from our program because the youth pastor that he had at St. Bartholomew's was also a graduate of the same program that I was coming out of. So I get this call from this British talking priest, uh, Ian Montgomery, and he basically hired me right there on the phone. Like he didn't know me. Like we just sort of had a conversation and uh, he basically said, look, I'll fly you out to St. Thomas and you can meet, you know, with the vestry, but you know, I'm going to hire you. <laughs> so come on out and wow. we'll, and, and we'll, uh, and we'll, and we'll do this. Uh, so we did, we, we went out there and I met, you know, a bunch of people that are now like, you know, like dear, dear friends of mine, uh, you know, Ann Peterson and uh, um, a gentleman named Boyd Tracy who lives, lives down in Iowa now, but you know, there were several people who were Nancy Dombeck and uh, uh, Lila Ireland were all people that were sort of helping out with the youth ministry at that time and are now just, you know, these, you know, stalwarts of the, of the St. Thomas community who at the time I didn't know, know them at all, but they've become, you know, wonderful, you know, co-conspirators and, and, uh, and dear friends. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was that moment of recognizing that um, we're going to move home. And then there was this movement of God that sort of came up underneath us and said, here you go. Here's something to stand on. Um, yeah. Did Shannon grow up in the Episcopal church? She uh, grew up in the Lutheran church. And now I can't remember if it was the Missouri or Wisconsin synod. Um, and she, she went to a, a Lutheran uh, elementary church here in Oshkosh, but her parents sort of fell out of favor with the, the clergy at the time. And so they sort of stopped going uh, just like church on Sundays and stuff like this as a family. Shannon lived at that time during her uh, early childhood. They were next door neighbors to John and Nancy Bain. Hmm. And therefore uh, were sometimes involved in a lot of things going on at this, you know, Episcopal church here in Oshkosh called Trinity, where I believe you're the rector, sir. Um, and, I believe, and I believe Nancy Bame is one of the deacons there. Um, so Nancy was, Nancy was basically a surrogate mom uh, for my wife. Um, and she uh, just sort of kept her arm around Shannon from a church perspective. Uh, even when Shannon's family moved to like a, a horse farm on the south side of Oshkosh, Shannon ended up coming into town a lot of times for youth group uh, at Trinity. Um, so Shannon has had her, that she was baptized Lutheran, confirmed Lutheran, but then received into the Episcopal church as a, as a teenager at some point. Um, so, yeah. And you two were married at Trinity. We were, we were married at Trinity. We met at St. Anne's up in De Pere at a youth event when we were 15 um, and just were really good friends all the way through high school and into college and then started dating and yeah, married at Trinity. Uh, in fact, I get to do my first wedding at Trinity this coming November uh, yeah, for a former student who's getting married right there at Trinity in town. Mm-hmm. 
We'll be back to having weddings by then. Yeah. In our I church building. I certainly hope so. Uh, Boy, you did a wedding the other day on a front porch or something, didn't you? I did, yes. Uh, the, the couple was just very, very adamant about getting married on May 10th of the year 2020. Uh, and so it was myself and the couple and a best man and a maid of honor and then parents and one sibling from each side. And yeah, they were all socially distant out on the front lawn. It was a blistering 47 degrees, I believe Uh, (laughs) a slight, uh, a slight horizontal rain coming from the East, uh, but we did it and it was great. Um, I think it was the shortest wedding sermon I've ever given. I want to say it it would clocked in at about 120 seconds, might've been 130. Uh, why, why keep preaching for a long time when no one's there to hear you talk anyway. (laughs) So, uh, youth ministry, how did you get from there to ordained life? Yeah. Well, because you don't need to be ordained to be a a youth minister. Certainly do not. Um, and for that reason alone, I resisted any sort of talk of anyone wanting to talk to me about going into ordained ministry. Um, because I, I still do even to this day, see my, my primary um, giftedness and my primary usefulness to the church is amongst students. And 15 years ago, I saw ordained ministry as not really anything other than a hindrance to be doing that Um, because I didn't see any need to do it. I also was dead set against going back to school. I really enjoyed seminary, but once I was done with school, there wasn't any desire on my part to continue to um, read theological things and then write down my thoughts about them in order to get another person's opinion about what I thought about it in the form of a grade. Um, because I just, it just didn't seem to be having any purpose. I have no problem reading and, and even writing about, you know, some, some things that I think about. Um, but I don't need to then have you critique me in the form of a grade. I would love to hear your critique uh, verbally. We can have coffee over that. And if you disagree with something I said or disagree with something I wrote, let's talk about that. But for an arbitrary sort of A, B, C, D, F, no, thank you. Just didn't have any uh, desire to do that. So because I didn't have an MDiv, I was sort of thinking, well, ordained ministry was just sort of something that was I needed to go back to school for, and I really didn't want to do that anyways. So plus, like I said, I sort of felt like it would just be a hindrance. Um, all throughout seminary, I had many, many people say to me, Oh, you're not getting ordained. Um, when I got to St. Thomas, uh, in the late nineties and then in the early two thousands, um, I had several people around this diocese, uh, ask me, so when are you getting ordained? And not the least of them was my boss, uh, Ian Montgomery at the time, uh, you know, was trying to sort of, you know, massage me into this, uh, you know, getting, getting ordained because he had had several other previous youth leaders at other churches that had eventually gotten ordained. So, and again, I just sort of figured, well, that's kind of what he thinks he's supposed to do. Um, so, well, um, we, we don't, do you agree with what I'm about to say? You probably do. I'm, um, 
we I I suspect that we have this not very great tendency to think that anybody who shows any kind of passion or drive to be to to sort of make the church our work we think that well you really should be ordained like we i i fear that we undervalue lay professionals in the church and maybe that's because most of our parishes are relatively small and so there's like a relatively small number of jobs available and someone's got to be ordained so we have this tendency to push people towards ordination if they show any kind of like interest or passion in the church i definitely am a product of a lay person showing gifts that people associate with ordination. So in that sense, yeah, I agree with your statement. My, my, my issue is there's absolutely no reason that just because you're a leader or you can speak, um, eloquently or you can uh you know espouse um some theological musings that that is a reason for you to be ordained um Mm. i think it absolutely has to be the church raising up someone to do so um which is why i'm so glad that at least in in this diocese i cannot speak for other dioceses that there is such a um truly rigorous process for, for people to go through a discernment process to be ordained, because I don't think it's something that we should just sort of throw around Um, because people see us as ordained people as having power, as having knowledge, um, as having, authority and maybe those things are true but they they don't come the moment that a bishop lays hand on, hands on you those things are instituted by god and handed out by the church and by the church i mean the people of the church just because i'm ordained doesn't mean i have authority just because i'm ordained doesn't mean i have power just because i'm ordained doesn't mean i have knowledge um if the church wants to say, we give you this authority, then that's fine. I can give that kind of authority to a lay person though, to, you know, run something or to be in charge of something. So yeah, I agree with you that that might, that might be a place where the church gets a little overzealous. And again, when I say the church, I mean like the people uh, that the church can get overzealous in, in, Oh, you, you look and smell and and talk nice um and and have charisma then then let's let's ordain you um cuz <laughs> cuz boy oh boy those, those are those are not qualities that i think necessarily always translate well into the priesthood um in fact i know that there are people who have those wonderful qualities that may, may, maybe shouldn't be doing this um and and that's that's hard to say because I love all of our brothers and sisters who are 
clergy around this this amazing both diocese and the Episcopal Church, but holy cow, it, it's it's hard to it's hard to see some people operate within that authority uh, and with that power um, who unfortunately can sort of step into either abusing it or it turns into self abuse because they don't know what to do with it. Um, and that's, that's hard to watch. That's hard to watch. So, um, so I want to keep on going with your trajectory as, uh, as a, a youth minister, but I want to ask you this question. And if you need to take a moment to think about it, I'll edit out the silence. Um, what does the church need to know about, uh, young people today what assumptions do you want to tear down Hmm. um in 1990 i was at the episcopal youth event uh as a senior in high school and i heard then presiding bishop edmund browning uh give a sermon uh in which he swore twice which I thought was cool at the time. Now, if if I heard our current presiding bishop curse, I would probably go, "Huh, I wonder why he chose to use those words." But um, uh, presiding bishop uh, Browning at the time said that um, he, he 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 was speaking in front of a you know a, a crowd of there were you know fifteen hundred two thousand high school students there, and so the place was just in a frenzy, and he. He then said, I want to let you know that there is a phrase within the church that I do not believe. It's a phrase that I hate. And he said that the youth are the church of tomorrow. And there was this weird silence. And then sort of a, 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 a cry sort of came up, you know, and people were started cheering and he said, you go home and you tell your bishops and your priests back home that you are the church of today. And of course the place went absolutely crazy. Um, and so, but, and I've always held that in, in my, in, in my brain because I think they're, and it's not just students, you know, or middle and high school students that, that get relegated to this uh, throughout the history of the church, different segments of the population have been told you're not really a part of the church. Um, whether you're a woman or, or whether you are uh, a person of color, whether you are part of the LGBTQ community, whether you are young or whether you're too old or, or whatever, you know, you're, you're, you're not really a part of this. Um, and I just can't find anywhere in the teachings of Jesus that excludes people based on, on sort of stuff like that. We are an imperfect people and Jesus calls us to repent and to turn towards him. And that's it. Um, and, and we're, we're welcomed in. So, um, there's, there's that level of that. No, you're, you don't have to like wait until you're older to become a part of the church. You, you are, you are the part of the church today. Um, as far as, so that's like, you know, 1990, that's what we're talking 30 years ago. Um, as far as today, um, what I see so many students today hungering for, um, which is partly why this COVID-19 mess is really, really hard, I think, on, on younger people today, 
is they desperately desire and want community. Um, they want to know that there is a place for them, um, a place that has been prepared for them, a place that they can come and be near and dear to one another and know that they are near and dear to someone and then have people that are near and dear to them. Um, I know that that happens in so many youth communities around the country, around the world. Um, I also see it not taking place in so many churches because there's not that emphasis put on um, inviting students to participate in a community um, that can care for one another. Um, the next step to that, though, and this is where I do see some youth ministries that can fall short, um, they have amazing community. They, they truly are near and dear to one another. The next thing that I feel that the church sometimes fails with, with students is it doesn't then call them into anything. It's like, here, we've given you a youth room. Here, you can uh, be together and, 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 and form tremendous relationships with one another. But the next thing that I think needs to happen is what is that community formed to become? What is that community trying to do in the world? Um, the little tagline that, that we use, or at least that I use uh, when, I, when I'm thinking about youth ministry, is that we are, um, you can edit this part out because I've got it written down and I'm looking for it. So um, <laughs> there it is. We are, we are trying to gather together in order to practice a way of life so that it can then be lived for the benefit of those around us, which then partners with God's like cosmic restorative mission for the world. So community is great to being near and dear to one another is amazing because we've all been there, right? Like, Oh, the people that are near and dear to me, they're so precious. And to know that I'm also near and dear to them. And, you know, I, I think that's what makes things like, um, you know, uh, camp and retreats so powerful. It's like those relationships are fostered and grown and watered and fed there. Um, but then taking it that next step. Um, and, and again, I, I think sometimes the church doesn't invite students to actually actively participate in the mission of God in the world, uh, in, in restorative practices, um, whether it's relational restorative practices or creational restorative practices, or just in restorative relationships between themselves and God. Um, if it stays on the surface, if it stays in just a, yeah, we're together, we're here, we play some fun games, we make really great food together, and we have awesome relationships. But if it doesn't step into a, an invitation to say, here's how we as community can truly partner with what God is doing in the world um, and live this way of life in the way of Jesus. Uh, it, it, it can just sort of stay surface in that sense. Hmm. That was a really long answer. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you. So uh, you did get ordained eventually. I did. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Continue your question. Yeah, what, what year was that? I got, well, I, I, uh, I had a friend of mine, uh, I was driving him to the airport. He was already ordained. He 
mentioned ordained ministry to me and I was sort of like kind of sick of people talking to me about it. And I tried to blow him off. He grabbed the wheel of the car, of the car I was driving and pulled over and he got in my face, like, like legitimately was like, this is something God is calling you to. And you need to acknowledge it that you're either going to do it or you are saying no to God. They said, if you want to say no to God, that's fine. Like he wasn't like trying to like guilt me into saying yes, because I didn't want to say no to God, but he wanted to let me know that he believed that this was something God was calling me to. This wasn't just a bunch of individuals saying this to me. This was God using them to say this. <laughs> I was Go like, ahead and say no to God. If you want to, it worked out well for Jonah. Right. Right. I mean, and, and, and I, I truly didn't feel guilted by, by his words. I mean, cause he, he, he was, he was very, very passionate about what he said. And it, it was, you know, not like, you know, angry with me in, in the, in the sense of like, you know, ready to hit me or anything like that. Um, and we were literally only about like like two miles from the airport at the time. So I literally dropped him off the airport. And then I had like about an hour's, hour and a half uh, ride home. As we, were, we were down near Milwaukee and he had flown in for an event and I was driving him back. And so I, then I had like an hour and a half of time just myself dr- driving home. Um, and from Milwaukee up to Oshkosh, by the time I got back, I realized that I I had been saying no to something that was that, that that God was I think definitely calling me into. Um, so I walked into Ian's office, told him that I would like to start the ordination process. He almost fell out of his chair. Um, and then, to make a really long story short, in the next month, Ian announced that he was going to be retiring uh, at the start of the next calendar year. Um, I began the process with the uh, commission on ministry, but because then we were in an interim process, um, the commission on ministry said, hold on, we're going to halt your ordination process because you do not have a rector. Um, So it wasn't a no, but it was a hold on boss like you don't just get to walk through this ordination process by yourself. You need to have, you know, rectoral oversight. Um, and an interim was not the, the, the setting that that was going to happen. So that was in, that sort of all happened in 2008 and 2009. We hired our rector in very early 2010. Uh, Father Ralph didn't know me from Adam. So we couldn't exactly just sort of, well, now you're here. We can start this back up. Like we, he and I took about a year to sort of get to know one another. Um, and then in 2011, we sort of then re-entered the process almost from square one, not completely, but, um, and then breezed through, uh, and stuff. So, uh, definitely had a starting, then stopping, then, then sort of slow roll start back again through the ordination process was ordained to the diaconate in late 2012 and to the priesthood in June of 2013. So coming up on, coming up on seven years, priestly ordination anniversary. I'm not going to try to do the math in my head, but so how many years were you a lay minister, a youth minister as a lay person? If you include the the time that I was at seminary, where I was functioning as a part-time youth pastor, so it would be like September of 1995, all the way up to December of 2012, 
uh, so 95, 05, that's 10, that's so like, like, like 17 years of either part-time or full-time lay ministry. Um, and then now seven plus years of almost seven years. Well, yeah, seven plus years of, uh, of ordained ministry. So how is life different as an ordained person? Did, did, did your job change your vocation, your sense of your relationship to the church? Despite my desire to desperately make sure that no one saw me as anything other than I'm still Aaron. Um, yeah, it did. Um, there's way more cross-generational ministry that I'm involved in. There's way more adult ministry that I'm involved in. I mean, my my primary job description is still with the middle uh, and high school and young adult students, but um, I do weddings, baptisms, uh, funerals, uh, hospital visits, um, obviously none of those things are taking place at this current time during the, during the COVID-19 pandemic, but, um, all of these, um, all of these other ministries, uh, coming just, you know, rushing at me, um, that I knew would happen, but, um, and, and none of it. And I, and I, I really mean this, none of it has felt awkward or foreign. I really thought it would but it didn't um it, which doesn't mean i doesn't mean to say that i've nailed it every time like i've had to learn um my first so i mean i i did you know uh hospital visits when i was you know a lay person you know if i had a student or or a parent of a student or even a grandparent of a student in the hospital i would go visit but man wearing a collar when you walk into a hospital room has just a different it's a different experience uh than you just walking in when i'm in a you know, a t-shirt and jeans or a polo and jeans or even a, you know, a sport coat or something like that. If it was, uh, it just, yeah, it's, it's a different, different experience. And, and as weird as it is to say the, the costume, uh, of, of, of an ordained person brings a sense of there, there is a, a different level of, of ministry that that's going on. I don't, I don't necessarily think I would say it's better or, or worse, but it, it is, it is different. Um, Father Ralph and I have talked endlessly about if you sort of make a V with your hands, you know, sort of like the base of your hands are touching and then, you know, so then sort of move them away and sort of like a, you know, the angles are sort of moving away and, if, if where your hands are touching near, near, near your wrists, that's birth. And then you sort of move your hands away and that sort of leads, you know, out and towards the, uh, the other age groups. My realm of ministry was sort of in that sort of earliest part of life, not necessarily newborns, but, you know, children and, and, and youth and, and students and maybe some young adults. And now through ordained ministry, there has been this expansion. Like imagine my hands are sort of moving further away from each other. But then also coming back and then and then you know remembering that that's where my roots are, but also this expansion of, of ministry across generations. Um, and again, I I thought it would be weird. I, I wasn't really sure that I that I wanted that. I didn't know if you know ordained ministry would sort of render me weird amongst the students, um, but it hasn't. Um, but I but I do recognize that there is a. Uh, 
there's a difference. There's an ontological change that is taking place. Um, it's hard for me to, you know, put my finger on when exactly I became aware of that. But, um, the first time that a bunch of students tried to call me father Aaron, which I bristle at because I feel like it tends to put a little distance between myself uh, and, and students relationally. Um, so they of course then see that and go, Oh, then good. We're going to call you father Aaron as much as we can, which is so much fun. Uh, so, and, and, and I, and I've told so many people, look, if it helps you in your faith practice and in your relationship with God to put a prefix in front of my name, I'm totally fine with it. Um, if you're doing it out of some sense of, well, that's what I'm supposed to call you. Let's have a conversation about maybe why you don't need to do that. And, we can just call each other by our first names and that'll be fine too. So, and I recognize that there are some clergy who might listen to that and go, I can't imagine not being called, you know, mother or pastor or father or ama or, or, or reverend uh, before my name. And that's fine. Like I'm totally fine with, uh, with people receiving that, that prefix if they're comfortable with it. Um, I just generally think that people should be called what they want to be called. Agreed. Absolutely. uh, the one thing that is kind of a pet peeve of mine is the people who happily call male priests father, but then when they run into a priest who's female, suddenly they have this whole thing about you know how they're not going to call so and so mother. I'm like, well, I don't don't have a double standard here. Pick one or the other. But, we like uh, double but don't standards. Do both. We love double standards. Sad but true. All right. Um, Let's bring it on home. What's your favorite and your least favorite part of your your calling, your vocation? What's the bit that really gets you going, and what's the bit that you would happily uh, do without? This will this will uh, fly in the face of what I've heard some clergy say. Um, I. And, and, and it's because I have background in youth ministry um, and then now being an ordained person, um, I get to do weddings. And the majority of the weddings that I do are for former middle and high school students that I watched grow up. Um, and now I'm getting to the age of, you know, doing some weddings for, uh, you know, adults who I remember when they joined, you know, the church when they were three, or I remember when they were baptized, you know, and, and then I certainly have all of the experiences of, you know, being in the youth room in the basement of St. Thomas or being on retreats with them or going to camps or, or mission trips and all of these, you know, endless, you know, times of coffee with them and holding their hand through when, you know, crises have taken place, praying with them. And then, to be able to sit down with them and their future spouse and to go, man, we've come all this way. And now I'm a part of this sort of next chapter of their lives. Uh, That is as much as I know, I hear so many clergy say, Oh, I hate weddings and stuff like that. Um, And yeah, there's a part of weddings that can be annoying and, and, and stuff like that and, and all this, but Oh my gosh! Uh, to to stand there with the couple, and sometimes I've been, even been blessed to be able to do, you know, here's two students that I've known, um, you know, and they're marrying one another. Um, that's e- even more of a of a, of a blessing. Uh, so that that is something that I really truly um, love about uh, this vocation of uh, to the priesthood. Something that I wish didn't happen. Um, I guess it would go back to. 
the, the what I was what I mentioned before about uh, authority and power. Um, if if I can call upon the church to heed these words, do not give power away. And certainly do not just blindly hand it over to the ordained people in the church because we as a church need both lay and ordained people to work hand in hand, side by side. I get it. There are certain things that we as a church have agreed to that these people will do these things as ordained people like the sacraments, like I'm not in favor of just sort of saying anybody can, you know, lay hands on bread and wine and there it's sacrament. It's like, no, no, I don't, I don't think that's true. Not because God wouldn't listen to them, but because we as a church have agreed, these are the people that are going to do these things. Um, and so please um, do not say, well, father knows best or mother knows best or reverend knows best. Because I've never felt I've been in any situation in my life where I know best. Like, I'm the best person in the church to know exactly how to do this? No. If you want to invite me into that conversation, you want to invite me to have input into that. Um, but uh, that is that is not something that I ever want to have sort of heaped onto me. Um and when it has happened, I have heeded the words of uh, Dixon Kinzer and Holly Rankin-Zare, who preached at my ordination, um, to never be the kind of priest who takes power for granted or abuses it. Um, because as we know, things come across our desks that would never come across the desk of a, of a, of a layperson. Um and not to be too cheesy about it, but truly with great power comes great responsibility. There's my pop culture reference That's for you. That's a great segue. What uh, is your pop culture recommendation? The movie, the Netflix binge watching, the whatever it is that you want to recommend to us since we're all sitting around in our PJs all day long. <laughs> right. Um, I just, um, what did I just finish? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm in the midst of it, and it, it's, I'm slowly going through it because I have to wait a week. I'm in the midst of watching uh, the Disney Plus series the, on, the, on the Mandalorian gallery. It's like the behind the scenes, talking to the directors, talking to the actors uh, and stuff. So I'm, I'm a huge John, uh, John Favreau. Uh, Fa- 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 I never know how to pronounce his last name, but I'm a huge fan of him. Uh, he, he, directed all the, I, he directed all the Iron Man films, you know, and, uh, and has, has done a lot of producing in the, in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. And uh, so, but he's been the, the producer behind The Mandalorian. And so watching him sort of talk to others about their craft and stuff like that, that's been, that's been tremendous. Um, I completed, um, I just completed uh, season three of Westworld. Um, and that's been great because Father Ralph and I were sort of walking through that together. Um, he was behind me and was sort of having to play catch up and, and stuff like that. So now, and I don't think he's finished season three yet. So I'm waiting for him to finish that so we can, we can talk about that. But Westworld was, uh, 
a wonderful piece on what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be uh, truly uh, together with other people to have vision uh, for what you want for the future and how you go about accomplishing that vision and all sorts of helpful and, and it's the, the show describes in graphic detail, very unhelpful ways to accomplish your vision vision um so yeah so westworld um the mandalorian gallery uh series um i've seen some negative reviews about it so i don't know if i want to walk down that road but it's on the amazon prime uh channel um it's with uh, al pacino called hunters hmm. it's about a group of uh people of the jewish faith uh hunting down ex-Nazis like you know in I think I think that show is set in the in the 70s or 80s um and it's about them like scouring the world uh for people who were Nazi SS or or you know people of the Nazi regime to bring them to justice um I haven't seen any of it um I love Al Pacino uh so but like I said I've seen a couple of written and verbal reviews that did not give it kind thoughts uh and stuff so now i'm now i'm hesitant because if i start something i always want to give it the benefit of the doubt it'll get better it'll get better and sometimes they don't so do you pay close attention to reviews or sometimes i mean like if if you really want to watch and the review is bad you're just going to go ahead and watch it anyway yeah, I mean, like, like I'll probably watch this show. Like, my hesitancy has just simply caused me to, you know, I haven't, like, jumped headlong into it uh, yet. Uh, and so, so, yeah, I mean, like, truth be told, I'll probably probably watch the darn thing because um, I do like Al Pacino. Um, but, yeah, I mean, some of the some of the reviews just were that the, the story was stilted. It wasn't really all that well told. And I'm a huge fan of story. Like, if you can tell good story, even if the acting isn't, top notch if the story's good i'll watch um and i'll i'll engage with with a good story even if the characters aren't um brilliantly uh, portrayed do you have a favorite gospel speaking of stories well told yeah um i i really like um i, I really enjoy matthew's gospel um i think that was the first book of the bible that i read all the way straight through so there's some nostalgia there for me as well but also i i deeply love how matthew treats the beatitudes um i enjoy um i enjoy matthew's uh crucifixion narrative um and yeah, it sounds a little uh, strange to say, doesn't it? I enjoy his crucifixion narrative. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really enjoyed Jesus getting nailed. To the, yeah, no. Um, so, so, I, think, I think also the part of it may go back to, and I don't think I realized this when it was happening, but when I, the first time I went through like a Stations of the Cross, it was almost exclusively based on Matthew's rendition mm. of, of, of the Passion. Uh, and so, but I didn't know that at the time. And I think I remember when I first read all the way through Matthew, I think it was in high school. I think it was a thing we had to, we had to pick a gospel for, uh, and read all the way through it for confirmation. Um, and I, and I remember reading it and going, Oh, this is just like the stations of the cross. And I remember experiencing stations of the cross when I was in middle school for the first time. Um, and just being really overwhelmed by it. Um, and it's like, Oh, it's exactly like how I remember. Oh, it's so great. Uh, and so, so, so yeah, yeah. Remember the passion? It was so wonderful. Uh, so, 
<laughs> well, I've just <laughs> I never I never I never remember even asking myself the question, why do we call it Good Friday? Because I actually really enjoyed re- reading the story and hearing the story of Good Friday. I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is really good. <laughs> and I've just been uh, just the other day started in uh, doing Lectio Divina on Matthew's Gospel, and I decided to start at the very beginning, which of course is the genealogy. That's how it starts out, right? Yeah. So I looked at I looked at it, flipped open to that page. And I stared at it, and I was like, what am I going to do with this? Right? Because so much of <laughs> Lectio Divina is, is about like reading a passage of the Bible and then like really sinking into every detail. What do you hear and smell, and what, what's that like? What's it, what's it like to put yourself in that scene? And what do you notice, and, and what, what, is, what is God telling you through all of this? I was like, what am I going to do with this list of names? So I sat with it and let that be my first prayer. Like, God, what are you going to show? Good luck, Lord. <laughs> what are you going to show me from this just boring list of names? And then like out of, like a bolt out of the blue, it struck me that this list of names shows how many steps and how much care and preparation it took to get from Abraham to Jesus and how... God works with humanity through generation after generation of like laying the groundwork and taking care of one generation after another to get things to line up in just the right way to get from Abraham to Jesus and how many uh how many things could go wrong in that sequence and how many, how things, many things did things go, wrong. go wrong and yet sort of you know God uh God manages to get done what needs to get done. So I I was really impressed that God managed to to salvage even uh my time just staring at this list of names. Um because then it occurred to me that you know one of the ending points of lectio is that it's never just kind of bible study. There's always an assumption that somehow God is going to give you a word through this word. And it occurred to me that that's true for me too. Like I also am the process of lots and lots of generations of people getting stuff right, getting stuff wrong, and God somehow um, weaving all those threads together and somehow um, reaching, you know, March 6, 1974 when I was born. And uh, uh, yeah. we're about the same age, aren't we? September is 72 for me. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You have all that wisdom that I don't. I have, have, um, yeah, Nixon was still president when I was born. So, (laughs) Aaron, thank you for talking to me, telling me your life story and uh, sharing your, your calling with me and with, uh, with all the listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I appreciate our friendship. I appreciate our co-conspirator Ness in the uh, realm of all things God, Jesus, Bible, Church. I think that's going to be what I title this episode. (laughs) Aaron Walter, colon, God, Jesus, Bible, Church. Bring it on. Take care, buddy. Well, thank you for listening to my conversation with Aaron. 
You can reach him via any of the social media links that I have put in the show notes. And you can reach me. I'm on Twitter at Apple Tree Pods. Or on Facebook, you can find the page for Apple Tree Podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, we also have one called Notes from Norwich. That's where I am joined by my friends Jan and Marguerite. And we dive through the Revelations of Divine Love by Julian of Norwich and see what we find. Feel free to like and subscribe and review and share this or Notes from Norwich with anyone who might be interested. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris Arnold, and I'll talk to you next time on This Calling. Bye for now.